It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. So glad you could tune in. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring at 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So yesterday we recapped the game against the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys. If you want to weigh in on that, we'd be more than happy to further discuss that. But we're also going to move on to a little bit about the challenge that the Giants will face this week, returning home against the LA Rams. And on top of that, the injury news. And Paul, that's where I want to start because Joe Judge had his media call yesterday. And there wasn't a great deal of detail in terms of the timetable for each and every individual. But Let's look at the reports that at least have been surfacing. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network had yesterday said that Saquon Barkley has a low ankle sprain, could miss two to four weeks. Once again, this is nothing official from the team. I want to just make sure that everybody understands that, but there are at least some reports out there. And Ian Rappaport also saying that Kenny Galladay is expected to miss this week with a knee injury, sources said, but a major sigh of relief all around. The initial fear was that it was major but should be just a week or two actual good injury luck for the Giants. So I think with respect to Galladay and Barkley and Judge, I think, echoed these sentiments. They dodged a bullet. That was his exact phrase. At least good news in terms of not necessarily a long-term injury for either one of them. Right, and it does seem also as though there was a lot of optimism from Coach Judge about Kadarius Toney, who had tweaked his knee in the game as well. But uh, he said he didn't think that that was going to be necessarily serious either. So I think that's that's the other one that kind of went under the radar because initially uh, we didn't see any headlines that he was hurt. Uh, and then yesterday, Judge had mentioned that, yeah, he, he did go for, for an MRI. So, look, this is a beaten up football team, Lance. There's no getting around it. I mean, it's a mass unit. But they've got to do what they've got to do because the NFL says they're playing on Sunday. <laughs> and the Rams aren't going to be bringing tissues to the game. They're not going to put a pause on the season for anybody. No. That never happens, yes, in the National Football League. I think the other part of the equation here is, and we won't know until they start practicing tomorrow, is there perhaps a chance that Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton could return? They've missed the last two games with hamstring injuries. They were working out on the side last week. Maybe even though you don't necessarily have a Kenny Galladay, and as you mentioned, Tony's a little bit banged up, perhaps they get some of the other guys back who had missed the last few games. I would be very, very surprised if Sterling Shepard does not play against Los Angeles. The way I saw him moving in drills on Friday, he was even more spry than Slayton was. Now, that's not to say that Slayton doesn't have a chance to face the Rams. I certainly think there's a possibility of that. But to me, Shepard was further along, and, and I would have to say right now I'd be counting on him to be part of that package. Yeah, I would expect one of the two at least to play because the other thing that I think is important to take into consideration, Paul, they could have put one or both of them on injured reserve, right? I mean, they easily could have placed them on IR, called up weeks. somebody else. 
Yeah, to yeah. take the roster spot. They chose not to do that. Now, maybe this is just me reading into things, but when a team doesn't put a player on IR, I would think the initial timeline was perhaps you could return before three games expires. Right, and this would be game number two. So, to be honest with you, if you just want to go by the math... Will be game number three would be coming up because they missed already two games. Oh, so this would be right. the third game, you're but right. they would be returning before, obviously, in, on IR, you would have yeah. had to sat out this game. There would be no chance for you to return against the Rams. Yeah, now at the same time, you'll recall when people asked Joe Judge about Evan Ingram and said, well, why didn't you put him on injury reserve? As it turned out, he did miss three games, but that's just the way it turned out before he was able to come back. Uh, look, look, some of this is, is a medical guess. You know, you, you do the best you can. You follow the trainer's advice, and they say, well, we think there's a good chance. Well, then maybe you don't put the guy on the list. But, I, I again, I'm going to go by eyewitness. I was there uh, during practice on Friday. I saw Shepard moving around very fluidly. I would say he's got to be extremely close, and another few days before Sunday's game should be enough time to get him ready. The other thing also is the fact that you can have an encouraging timeline and then all of a sudden a player has a setback. So I wouldn't fault the team, right? Bite your tongue, Lance. Well, I mean, listen, I'm not trying to jinx anybody, but what I'm saying is, and I was basically piggybacking off of your point, where you look at the player's injury, you say, hey, I think he could return in three weeks. Okay, we're not going to put him on IR. Maybe midway through the second week, unfortunately, there's a setback. How were you supposed to know that when you were having that conversation two weeks prior? Right. It it can happen. Yeah, I would never fault the team if they decide to say, hey, we're going to avoid IR because we are thinking optimistic that the player will return. So that's at least in terms of the running back slash wide receivers. Then there's, of course, Paul, Daniel Jones. Now, Joe Judge made it clear, and I don't think this was surprising. He has to go through concussion protocol. And we were talking to Jeff a little bit about this, but concussion protocol, just to reemphasize it, is a very tricky process. It's not the same for everybody. To my understanding, what happens is at the beginning of the season, everybody has a baseline test. So when you get a concussion, they're now comparing you to that baseline test earlier this season. So it all depends on the individual. And you could pass through with flying colors, Paul, on Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, all of a sudden, you wake up. You're not feeling well, and you may have to now all of a sudden go through an additional step or two. So it's really a feel-it-out process right now for Daniel Jones. No doubt, Lance. And to be frank with you, I think that's one of the reasons why Joe Judge said we won't know a whole lot until later on in the week. I mean, that's the honest and prudent way to go about this. I know everybody wants to know, oh, is he going to play on Sunday, especially the fantasy football people? I get that. Well, tough. You're not going to know. Uh, And chances are, I mean, the way he wobbled in Dallas, chances are, without being a doctor, I would probably say he's not going to play this weekend. But I don't know that for sure, and I'd be foolish to report that or to to say that. But, uh, you know, I think I was talking to to a couple of former players this week about it because they they were all curious with me. What what did you think, you know, the the way he, he wobbled after getting hit? And I said, well, look. From my years of experience around the league, more often than not, a guy who suffers a concussion, and again, everybody is different, so I want to be very specific when I say this, everybody is different, but more often than not, you'll see a guy miss at least one game, very commonly will miss two games. Then again, there are others who will miss more than a month. Yeah, It, it can happen. So... 
you know, just using the generic guidelines that it's one or two games usually, I think what you do is that's what you would expect just going in. And then when you hear more details from the doctors and if it changes and becomes either better or worse and the timeline is altered by the medical people, then you deal with it when it comes. But I just, yeah, I, I would be... I would be remiss if I didn't at least give people that type of uh, of experience and that type of knowledge that usually it's a one to two game situation and and it could it could certainly change depending upon the specific player. And there was a significant reaction to the hit too. Now that's not to say that we haven't seen other quarterbacks take hits and suffer a concussion, but when you see a quarterback wobbly after that, you know, you're also saying to yourself, okay, you've got to prepare that it could take some time for the quarterback to fully recover. And, of course, the team is always going to do what's in the best interest of Daniel Jones, even if he starts to show some progress and is feeling better. I think the Giants have a track record of that. And here's the good news. The good news is Mike Glennon got game action last week. He's a veteran quarterback. Now he'll be going into this week regardless of Daniel Jones's status, knowing that there's a good chance he's going to start. And it changes things from his standpoint, not to say that he wasn't well prepared to go in, but I do think it, Mike Glennon, when he spoke to the media, Paul, after the game even indicated, when you now come into the new week going into Wednesday, you just have a little bit more in terms of the layout of the land, okay, hey, I'm going to get the first team reps. Mm -hmm. I've got to make sure I'm on the same page with these receivers because there is a very good chance that I could go into Sunday's game as the starter. So I do think that changes his preparation just slightly because it's not just the mental side of things. He's actually going to get the physical reps this week, which he didn't get the previous week. You know what, Lance? This is a guy who has extensive experience in the National Football League. He's been around for a number of years, and he has started a number of games uh, he's been a backup and a starter. He knows how to handle all of the different situations. I have complete confidence in him, and I have complete confidence in his arm. I mean, if there's one thing we knew when Mike Glennon came into the NFL from the very get-go some years ago with Tampa is that he can throw it. I mean, he throws a tight spiral. He throws a nice, easy ball to catch. He has the distance and the range on his arm to throw the deep ball, uh, and he certainly has the size you know, but he is a typical pocket passer. He's not going to be very mobile back there. You know, he did try that one scramble that we did see him get a first down on in Dallas. But but the running aspect will not be part of his game. You know, he's he's a statue back there. But the good news is it's six foot seven. I, I think he's almost six or six five, six seven, six five. I think six seven. He's is it six seven? Yeah. Is that what they yeah. list him at? Yes. I I know. You know, that does give him the ability to see over a lot of the traffic. So even though he is a statue back there, he does have some sight lines to go through. So, look, I I, I think that's what he is right now in this league. He is a very capable backup quarterback, and he's being called upon to do that very job. So I, I feel pretty good about him being being at the controls, quite frank with you. And I did want to backtrack for just a second, just to give somebody an example of how the concussion thing varies. Remember, Red Ellison had suffered a concussion when he was with the Giants a couple of years ago. He missed the last six weeks of the season and then retired during the offseason. Well, what about Sterling Shepard? You know, That's another example. He Sterling, missed a lot of time, Sterling, too. Sterling missed a bunch of games. Yeah. So just so folks understand, there is a varying degree 
of how many games people miss because of a concussion. And again, I just want to assert that because I, I don't want people now all of a sudden putting up on Twitter, oh, they said on BBKL he's only going to miss one or two games. That's that's not what we're saying. But I just think from a reasonable perspective, you have to at least go in starting to think that that's probably a good starting point. And then it could change depending upon what the medics tell you. Well, and then on top of that, Paul, you also need to take into consideration the history of the player. Now, I don't know Daniel Jones's history when it comes to concussions, but I'm sure the player is thinking through that as well as the team. And they have all of that data in front of them. So, you know, that's another layer that is also brought to the forefront when you're going through the steps and you're discussing the chances of a player being out there. So there's a lot of different factors. It varies from player to player. I think that's absolutely the main point. As far as Mike Glennon, 35 appearances, 27 starts. That's where he's at. That includes the appearance against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. You mentioned 6-7. I was going to say... It helps to be that tall when you're going up against Aaron Donald and he may be coming up the middle. So if you could see over a guy like that, it's certainly beneficial because, you know, I know we're going to preview a lot with respect to the Rams in the days coming, but this is clearly a strong test up front for the Giants offensive line because of not just what Aaron Donald brings to the table, but a number of other guys that they have. Leonard Floyd is one of their key pass rushers. Their secondary is still strong with Jalen Ramsey. They did lose two guys in free agency to the Cleveland Browns, but all in all, this is just as strong of a defensive unit that they saw. Remember, this was a team they played early last season in Los Angeles. It was a low-scoring game. Paul, it came down to the wire. What was it, 17-9, I believe? And Daniel Jones had an opportunity. It was picked off by Darius Williams very late in the game. So, you know, Jared Goff was the quarterback. Things have changed. It's now Matthew Stafford. They still have tons of wide receivers. They got some new running backs because of injuries. But this is a very balanced team on both sides. And this is a team also that is well-rested because they played Thursday night against Seattle. So that will be interesting to monitor. Mm -hmm. Does that help a team? Does that hurt a team? The Giants have been in multiple situations over the last few years where sometimes they're the well-rested team and sometimes their opponent is well-rested. This time, the opponent obviously has the advantage. Well, I think you're going to kind of get a good idea of what I'm thinking about this game because during the offseason going in at the end of training camp, I predicted the Rams to be the NFC rep in the Super Bowl. Okay, I thought that Stafford was their missing piece, even though I am not a huge Sean McVay fan because he's one of those nouveau guys who's all about video game offenses. But but I just thought that the talent level on the Rams, especially with Stafford coming in, would be enough to get them the conference championship. So uh, I give you that before we even talk about this matchup this week. And it's interesting you mentioned Darius Williams because he's got a badly sprained ankle and they're ruling him out already for this week's game. So uh, that's that's of interest to the Giants because that's a starting corner who's now not going to be there. And already they're trying to figure out, apparently, they're mixing and matching three different guys. And they're not sure who is going to come in on Sunday's game and play the Giants. So that certainly bears watching. Of course, the Giants receivers, as you say, we're also trying to figure out who's going to be playing for them. Well, that's why Robert Rochelle, their rookie corner, has seen a lot of action opposite Jalen Ramsey because, as I mentioned, you lost Troy Hill in free agency, signed with the Browns. Now Darius Williams is banged up, and this is what happens. Now you sometimes you have to go to the younger options and give them an opportunity early in the season. So they have been experimenting a little, but I think if most people look at the Rams, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously the personnel that they're working with up front. Specifically, I mean, they got two big guys. It's not just Aaron Donald, by the way. Sebastian Joseph Day 
Slay, who's their nose tackle, is also a guy that is not a big sack guy, but he's more than capable of getting pressure and getting down and dirty. So that's why the interior of the Giants' offensive line, you could maybe argue that this is their most significant test of the season in terms of the interior, not necessarily off the edge, Paul. Well, I, I don't want a slight Leonard Floyd coming off the edge either, to be honest. You don't want to get that guy mad, right? Uh, well, he, he came off a very good season last year. He so, really did. You know, I mean, you got to give him his due. He really did. You know, I, I confess that, uh, you know, I remember when Leonard Floyd was coming out of school, I, I didn't think highly of him because I thought he was a one-dimensional pass rusher. And quite frankly, I don't think the Bears thought that that he was living up to his hype either because they were very willing to let him go in free agency. Uh, and he had some very subpar years there. Okay, he really didn't break out until last year was his career year with the Rams and and showed that, you know what, he really can be a good player. It took him a while. That's one of those guys where it looks like he's gotten better over time. He may have been a late bloomer to really become a full-fledged, complete factor in the National Football League. Good for him and good for the Rams that they, they got him at the right time. They're, they're getting what they paid for. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I understand what you're saying about their, their front line. But, I, you know, Floyd, when, when he's right, he can really do a lot of stuff to you. And I'll be honest with you. Remember, um, Terrell Lewis, when he was coming out of Alabama – uh, there were a lot of people who thought he was an underrated guy who's got great yeah. length and can get to the quarterback. So, you know, their linebackers are not guys to sleep on is, what, I guess, really what my point is. Well, they've got 14 sacks already on the season <laughs> and a bunch of the names you mentioned. Terrell Lewis has two. Leonard Floyd has three. Aaron Donald has three. Sebastian Joseph Day, who I brought up, has two. All of these guys, they're spreading the wealth. So you're not going to sleep on anybody. I just, when I look at the Rams compared to other teams, I always first think about the interior of the line. When normally you talk about the edge guys, the Rams, my eyes go to the interior. That's why I just wanted to emphasize that compared to some of the other opponents that the Giants went up against. And we'll get into more detail later on in the program as well as we move forward. One other thing I just wanted to mention on the injury front, Joe Judge did mention that they are encouraged that hopefully Andrew Thomas will be able to play. He was in uniform. He was the emergency guy so that's why he didn't play they felt that listen in the event somebody gets hurt or they have to turn to him they'll have him but because of the sore foot they didn't want to necessarily put him in a position where he was going to re-aggravate it but they are encouraged that hopefully he'll be able to go this week which is good news considering the test that the Rams present up front 201-939-4513 that is the telephone number hashtag Giants chat let's open up the phone lines as we move forward here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live Ralph is in Florida and he joins us. What's happening, Ralph? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. Nice talking to you guys. I haven't talked to you guys in a while. Hi. Um, just calling to say, listen, I mean, it stinks with all these injuries. You know, you, you get hope after the Saints game, and then these injuries happen. But at the end of the day, we're going to try to, we're going to kind of find out what Coach Joe Judge is and what these players are really about because, you know, there's no, I mean, there's no easy games coming up soon. And at the end of the day, let's see. What 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 girth do we have in this team? What fight do we have? And I mean, I understand talent to overcome sometimes, but you know what? Sometimes you can get sneaky, and you can get you know people overlooking you. And this is any given Sunday in football. You know that, Paul. At any at any time, anybody could beat anyone. So you know, I'm I'm optimistic. At the end of the day, we have what 12 games left in the season. 
anything can happen in these 12 games, I'm, I'm still not ready to throw in a towel and quit like other fans are because I'm a real fan. I've been a fan since 75. I've been in the struggles of the, the middle 70s, the, the, middle, the early 80s. So, you know what? At the end of the day, this is a struggle that basically you can't control anyway. So all these people want to be armchair GMs and want to make video game moves and whatever. This, this, this is a team that unfortunately this year was a lot of expectations on the defense. They're not living up, like you said, Paul, to the back of their, their cards. Xavier McKinney's a huge disappointment. Leonard Williams, a huge disappointment. So at the end of the day, we just got to hope and, and, and fight. And, you know, I'll take it off the air, guys. I always love talking to you guys. You guys do a great job. All right, Ralph. Appreciate the phone call. You know, Lance, Ra- yeah. Ralph just mentioned 75. So, look, if he digested the Craig Morton Shea Stadium time, <laughs> trust me, he can digest what's going on right now because this team is so much more talented than that 75 team was that played at the Big Shea. Uh, I- I'll tell you this, though, Lance, in all honesty, look, I, I look at the team on paper, and I know that, at some point, reality has to set in and you say, if these guys haven't played up to their expectations, you have to start thinking, well, maybe are they really as good as you thought they were? I don't know right now. I I, I was scratching my head during September thinking that, well, you know, this is still them getting the wheels turning, getting the oil and the grease on the gears. And I kind of was going with that. But now we're in October. And I, I know they got guys hurt this past week, but the truth of the matter is I'm still not seeing all the wheels turning and the gears in motion. And, you know, he mentioned a couple of players in particular. I'm big on London Williams. You know that. I thought he had a sensational season last year. Xavier McKinney played terrific in December. I'm not seeing the same stuff right now from, from just those guys, never mind the rest of them. And you have to start scratching your head and you're like, why, why is that not happening? Well, we talked about this in detail yesterday, so we don't necessarily have to rehash it. You know, part of it, I think, is I think most teams now have a little bit better idea of what Patrick Graham runs and their personnel. I think that's a factor. I think, once again, they're playing a little bit more man-to-man this year because of the cornerbacks that they brought in. So some of these guys are left out on an island. They have to win their one-on-one battles. And then the absence of Dalvin Tomlinson, who I brought up also. So there's three factors right there. The one thing I will say, though, that we did discuss in the offseason, even though there was upside and intrigue was a word that I called, still a lot of question marks. And the outlook of this team was going to be determined, Paul, based on how quickly do some of those question marks get answered. So one of the things that I pointed to is I agree with you. I think Leonard Williams had a very strong season last year. But I also look at track record. Leonard Williams never had another double-digit sack season. So anybody who came in after last year and said, well, Leonard's going to start with at least 10 sacks, meaning he's going to get 10 and maybe it'll be bonus he get three or four more. I don't think that way. I think of that was an outlier. He's got to prove that he can now do that again. So that was one of my question marks. Can you bank on Leonard Williams giving you the rate of sacks that he gave you last season and finishing in double digits? I just, I don't take things like that for granted unless I know, like Aaron Donald is the last interior defensive lineman. I know Leonard plays a little bit on the outside, but there's a reason why Aaron Donald, Paul, is the only guy in recent NFL history Mm -hmm. that's been able to put together consecutive double-digit sack seasons that's an interior defensive lineman. That's it. The list starts and ends with Aaron Donald. Nobody else has been able to do it other than him. So I I think think that says a lot about the landscape of the NFL. Well, and, and I think to be frank with you, and I don't, 
believe I'm talking out of turn here. Let's look at the Giants' secondary. And you know how they say it's complimentary. The secondary has to cover. The, the, the pass rushers have to get home. Well, I mean, can, can Jabril Peppers, Logan Ryan, James Bradbury, and Adoree Jackson, can, can, can they all say honestly that they've played as well as they can play? I, I don't think so. I, I just don't. I, I think all four of those guys would have to say and would be the first to tell you if you ask them face-to-face that they haven't had their best games either. And when that's across all four of your starters in the secondary, that's a problem. 100%. And then you're banking on making those opportunistic plays to maybe cover up some of your other issues. And takeaways are fantastic, but they sometimes come in bunches. And, hey, in fairness, the Giants have had at least one takeaway in every game. So there has been that How many have they dropped? But, of course, there's been so many more that they could have made. And then here's the other thing. How many times have they consistently capitalized, Paul, on the takeaway? Well, that's not on the defense now. That's that's No, no, of course. That's more of complementary football. Right. But complementary football is what helps you win most football games. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm strictly just looking at the defense. No, I know. You're looking at it from the defense. Well, so was I. I wasn't looking at it from the offensive standpoint either earlier. To be fair, I mean, nobody's really holding up their end of the bargain, to to be honest. And I'm just strictly looking at the defense and saying to myself, well, now Blake Martinez, who was the most important component of that defense, the heart, the soul, the guts of that defense, now he's been ripped out as of a couple of weeks ago. And I'm not sure how they make things a whole lot better on defense. I mean, you know, you get those replacement parts. I know you like to go with the next man up thing. And I know Coach Joe Judge likes to say that also. But. Blake Martinez, his production doesn't come off the supermarket shelf. There's a reason why he is so productive. It's because he's extremely smart, he's very instinctive, and he and he's a real football player. Not to say that Reggie Ragland and Tay Crowder aren't given their best, but they they're not they're not Blake Martinez. And, you know, I I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, Lance, you, John, and I, and I think Jeff Beagles also said before the season, you know, we had, I think John had asked us, who are the top three guys that the Giants could ill afford to lose and you take the quarterback out of the equation? We all said Blake Martinez, didn't we? Yeah. Well, I think also because of the experience factor, too. It's a lot huge. more experience that Blake brings to the table compared to Tate Crowder. He's played a lot more games. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. And you can't ignore the production. Yeah. I mean, Blake Martinez is a very productive player. Well, you're talking about a guy that's finished in the top five in tackles in the NFL. Forget the Giants. Exactly. Consistently. So, I mean, that speaks for itself. I'm still not sure how in the world they overcome that. I'm just not. Well, the way you overcome that, I'm not saying that I have the answer, but I think the way you do that is you got to do it in piecemeal. You can't expect, because there's nobody on the roster, I think based on what we're talking about, I think we would agree, nobody is going to replace Blake single-handed. Totally agree. Okay? So the way you then fill in for him is you pick and choose situational moments to put certain guys on the field. Somebody may be really good in coverage. Somebody may be really good in terms of getting down at the line of scrimmage. Patrick Graham's got to really touch and go along the way. You can't expect Crowder to be the one guy. Usually when you have to piece things together, you lessen your percentage chance of success. Usually, when you do that, you know it's kind of like when they talk about the bullpen game in baseball. Well, if you if you're going to go into the game planning to use five pitchers, if any one of those five pitchers has a really bad day, it could blow up your plan. 
because the other relievers can only clean up so much. Right. And yeah. that's and and really that's kind of what Patrick Graham is facing now, right? If he's got to try to scheme around it and use two or three guys in different positions and different matchups and different schematic formations and responsibilities, well, now he's relying on more guys to do exactly what it is they have to do at exactly the right time. It increases your your chances of error. You know who's another player that I think we're starting to see the Giants are missing? Kyler Fackrell, Paul. You think? Yeah, I, I was Smart thinking player. more and more. I watched a few games of what he's done with the Chargers. I'm going to throw in Fackrell. You know Tomlinson's number one on my list. I but know. Fackrell is a very close second. It's just some of the things he did situationally in games and big plays that he made, I just feel like they're missing that veteran edge guy that could you know put the key in the ignition and be that x factor a smart player yeah he never never lit up the stat sheet to be frank with you but he was always a smart player and they could count on him to know what he was doing and very rarely was he in the wrong place exactly and that's why he's somebody that all of a sudden comes to mind as well let's head back to the phone lines we check in with jonathan in westchester what's happening jonathan Hey, how are you guys? Doing right, Jonathan. What do you got for us? Uh, so today, I wanted to discuss the the number of injured Giants and and you know how it might affect the Giants' approach going forward. So I was looking at the roster, and by my count, eleven of the uh, of the Giants' eleven projected opening day starters on offense, eight are dealing with injuries. So I see Jones, Barkley, Shepard, Galladay, Slayton, Thomas. Lemieux and Gates are all dealing with injuries. Uh, Well, two of them are out for the season that you mentioned. Right. So it's just Hernandez, Soldier, and Ingram. Those are the three projected uh, opening day starters who are are healthy. And remember, Ingram was hurt earlier in the season. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not making us feel any better. (laughs) (laughs) Then you look at the – opening day captain. So there were seven of those. Five of them are injured. So again, Jones, Barkley, Gates, Peppers, and Martinez. Only Logan Ryan and Graham Gano are healthy. Then you go to the 21 uh, draft. Of the six draft picks, four, four dealing with injuries. Uh, Tony Robinson, Ellerson Smith, and Radarius Williams. And, and as you know, Robinson and Smith have yet to suit up for a game. Um, so what you're trying to tell us is that they should be feeding these guys more apples on a daily basis because that'll keep the doctor know, away, correct? Uh, you know, it's interesting. So I think they actually had the right approach in the draft this past year. Uh, you know, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's a war of attrition, and if you can trade down, more power to you. Uh, so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And another guy is Cam Brown, by the way. You know, he's a – uh, core special teams guy. I also think he's a good pass rusher, underrated pass rusher. I think they've missed him. I mean, I know he suited up for the opener, and, you know, a minute in, he was on the trainer's table with a hamstring injury. So, uh, you know, they go down the list. Role players, Levine Tololo, T.J. Brunson. You know, it just it goes on and on and on. And I don't remember it being like that, you know, years ago. Guys well, last year they actually avoided the injury bug. So, I mean, that's a fair point, but I'm still going to go back to Jonathan, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but if you were going down the road of injuries is to explain why the team is 1-4, and four, on defense, the bulk of the group, with the exception of Blake Martinez, they're all out there on the field. 
So, you know, all of the guys that they pretty much thought were going to get a lot of snap counts, and I wouldn't look at it so much, by the way, as starters. Look at the guys that are going to play a lot of snaps. That's how you have to look at a team, not the 11 guys that were going to start. You could be on the field for the first play and then not play much after that. So that's irrelevant. I would say Martinez and Peppers. I mean, I know Peppers had a slow start, but, you know, the, the, we had very high hopes for him going into the season. Sure, but Peppers is going to so, return. It's not like he's going to miss the bulk of the season. He's just right now dealing with a hamstring injury. Right. And, you know, I guess my question is more, you know, how, how whether you think this should affect the, the approach going into the draft going forward. Because the NFL now, I, I mean, I, I think it's a different league than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago in terms of, you know, the number of injuries that, that teams are uh, dealing with. All right, Jonathan, well, we'll let you go on that note. I don't know how much we want to speculate in terms of the 2022 draft. No, call. I'm, not, I'm have, not going there, yeah, Lance. No, no, I, but I, I will. This is what I will because I, I will address, and this is what I think the caller was getting at. The caller, I think, was emphasizing from a big picture perspective the importance of depth. And listen, you don't have to convince me. It's something I preach all the time. But you can never, Paul, you never go into a season predicting injuries, okay? You don't go into the season thinking Saquon Barkley coming off a torn ACL is going to roll his ankle in week five, and there's a chance he may miss two to three games. Yeah, you brought in Devontae Booker for that reason, but you're not thinking or hoping that Barkley's going to miss three or four games or whatever it may be. You just prepare yourself that in the event somebody does go down, you feel good about some of the players that are behind them. And I think, look at the wide receiver depth, Paul, each of the last two seasons. I think there was an emphasis on that. I mentioned bringing in Booker this year. They at least wanted to upgrade, especially with Wayne Goldman no longer in the picture. They brought in extra corners this year, okay? You know, unfortunately, at some of these positions I'm talking about, Paul, you have multiple players out. Right. But I don't think that the Giants went into the season saying, Saquon's going to be our hero, he's going to put the cape on, and we're just going to keep our fingers crossed that he's going to play all 16 games. I agree with you. Look, we talked about this the whole offseason. The Giants did about as much as anybody could imagine in terms of not only plugging their holes, but in adding depth at as many positions as possible. I mean, the offseason plan was really good. They drafted extremely well. They picked up so many more free agents than anybody thought they would be able to do. And they they enhanced their roster to the point where I still stand by the fact that their 53-man roster going into the season was the most balanced in the division and was the best in the division. I still believe that. But they have not performed anywhere near that. And that's the difference. The performance level has not matched what those guys put down on paper. I think the the only thing that I could add to our conversation from a moment ago when we were talking about the inside linebacker spot, I've been curious about this since last year. I think that Carter Coughlin, if it were me, would probably be getting a shot at one of those inside linebacker spots. And, you know, because Cam Brown, who's already been mentioned, uh, being on the injured list, because he can't be a potential solution – I wonder if Carter Coughlin could not be part of something that the Giants might want to try. I don't think that's a stretch at all. Remember, he was making the transition in the preseason. We saw him get some snaps. I mean, there was one play where he didn't have his head turned around in coverage, so there's still that adjustment. But maybe as they have other needs and he gets more and more comfortable, they could certainly throw him into the mix. I'm actually I'm looking at the snap count right now just out of curiosity because I didn't look at his exact number. He's only played just over 6% of the defensive snaps, Paul. 22 total. 
and I'm looking through the rest of the roster, I mean, that is on the extreme low side. The only guys below Carter Coughlin, just to give you an idea, is Quincy Roche, who is at just below 5%. Raymond Johnson, but he doesn't play the same position, is at 12%. And as I continue to look down the list, that's it. I mean, everybody else has played at least 15% of the snap. So Coughlin is extremely low on the totem pole based on those numbers. Look, the coaches know a whole lot more than what I know, okay? And I'm not going to sit here and say, like, this is the magical solution. But I do know this. But he's an option. In the he's two, in the two games he started at the end of last year in December, he had a combined 11 tackles over those two games. So, you know, to my mind, he's put some productivity on tape that could potentially make him part of the solution. 100%. And once again, when you're struggling, it doesn't hurt to then experiment with other individuals who maybe you didn't give a chance to. Because at this point, you know, given the fact that they're struggling to stop the run, you might as well take your chances with maybe a young guy who's making the transition and see if he can make an impact. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here, Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Ozzy is in New York joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Ozzy? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking a call. Um, listen, I never thought going into this year that, that our offense will be carrying this team. You know, where this defense left off last year, you thought uh, adding a, a, a Dory and, and, and a few pieces that we added, I thought we're going to be a dominant top five defense going into this year. Mm-hmm. Now, by saying that they missed Tomlinson is an understatement. You don't see a pass rush at all this year. I mean, Williams, he is barely there there's no pass rush so to pick on your the corners last year you know last year was pretty much the same thing they started off slow but by the mid-season and towards the end of the season we were a very good defense now if you look at it this year it's the same issue that we had last year we didn't have pass rush till and then we're going through the same thing now are they going to get it right by the by mid-season or later on i don't know and now injuries are piling up. I mean, you know, injuries have a lot to do with where this team is right now. Uh, I mean, if the ball bounced here, and if we had the ball bounce our way, we would have been right now 3-2. and two. And now, don't forget, the Dallas game, it's not a blowout. You know, we were in the game without our quarterback, without our running, our top running back. The game was tied 10-10, but you know what? Here we go again, but this defense has a habit of, Giving up touchdowns right before the half. Yeah, well, right it's happened in every single game, game Ozzy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Our problem this year is our defense. You know, let, let you me know, just guys, let me just bring some light. And again, I don't like to usually make arguments with numbers. Through five games last year, Dalvin Tomlinson had 19 tackles and three quarterback hits. Okay, I'm sorry, three okay. tackles for a loss. Austin Johnson already has. Three sacks, 24 tackles, four tackles for a loss, and three quarterback hits. Okay, so statistically speaking, Austin Johnson has already done better than Tomlinson did after the first five games of the season compared to the first five games of last season. So, again, I hate to use numbers as an argument, but I think Austin Johnson's played well. 
The stat line seems to prove that. Uh, and and the Tomlinson loss to me is not nearly as big as I know Lance feels that way. He's entitled to. I'm sorry. I just don't think that's as big a loss as others do. Well, see, Paul, what I'll just add is I don't think it's just a statistic thing. I think it's more of a respect thing in terms of what the offense views Tomlinson and the attention you have to pay to a guy like that versus Austin Johnson. No disrespect to Austin Johnson. And what Tomlinson did to open up opportunities for other players. That's what I would throw absolutely. in, which can't be expressed by that statistical breakdown. And that's of true. Comparison. And that's absolutely fair. You can you can never weigh the impact that the guy has on other players. And and I and I agree with you that I do think Tomlinson did command more attention, although I suspect the way Austin Johnson has put up numbers and produced over the first five games, he may start commanding more attention pretty soon as well. Because those numbers for five games for an interior defensive lineman, those are pretty darn good numbers. Yeah, he's had a sack in every other game so far this season. That's been the exact breakdown. So I just I just want to give him a little bit more credit than, than some people are willing to give because, you know, he really is the guy who's primarily replaced Tomlinson. And I, I just think we're doing a disservice to him. I understand, but it does not show you how many – these stats are not showing you that uh, Tomlinson was double-teamed a lot, which helped Williams get in, pile, pile up his numbers in sacks, guys. You know, don't forget that. Well, that's what I mentioned. I said I brought up what Tomlinson does to open up opportunities for other players. Can't be shown Absolutely. in a box score. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, but guys, moving forward, how do you, you think this defense has no passers whatsoever, and, and you leave in your corners on the island. I mean, till we fix that problem, we're going to see this every week, going in and out. That's le- every time the uh, the opponent has the ball before the half, hey, boom, here comes the touchdown. They can't get off the field. And how about fundamentals? They can't even tackle. That's fundamentals. Mm-hmm. The tackling has been very poor. It's been terrible this year. And you know, if you if you don't make tackles, you, like last week, most of the time you see the running back getting tackled beyond line of scrimmage, way further the line of scrimmage, four or five yards into it, he's getting tackled at the second level. How about trying to stop stop the the, the running game? The, we can't stop the run, we can't stop the pass. This defense is terrible, you know. And with that said, guys, thanks for taking my call out. Take care. Thanks. 201-939-4513 is our phone number here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are here until the top or the bottom of the hour to continue talking Giants football as they take on the L.A. Rams Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Don't forget, this Sunday is also the celebration of the 10 years from the 2011 Super Bowl champion Giants, and that's going to be quite a celebration at halftime. So we certainly invite you to stay in your seats if you're coming to the game at halftime and enjoy that rather than uh, going to get those refreshments potentially. Uh, Back to the phones. Antonio, you're on line one on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hello, and welcome to the program. Hey, Paul. um, You're actually the person that I just wanted to talk to you because I got a little gripe to pick with you. Yeah, sure. Um, so first and foremost, um, I, I agree with Lance. Tomlinson does actually have an impact that, that that was voided when he left the team, and it's exactly that. It's not just stats; it's it's things like double teams on him and things mm-hmm. like that. That's I don't disagree with that. Let me make that clear. I don't right. disagree with that. 
I just don't weigh it as heavily as Lance does, and you might. And that's right. okay, too. Right. What I also want to say is Dexter Lawrence is a first-round draft pick in his third year, which is the year that a first-round draft pick should be able to wake up and do something. And he's honestly a non-factor out there. Like, I would have honestly preferred, and this is where Dave Gettleman messed up as a GM, where he double-dipped too much in the interior line. You had B.J. Hill. You had Tomlinson. There was no reason to draft Dexter Lawrence, especially if you're going to go ahead and trade for Leonard Williams. So I think that's a big mistake that we did. We just wasted so much investment on the line, and it's just not a good line regardless because we also wasted most of our capital on the interior on the line, not on the outside edges. And I feel like that's a big board right now where, unfortunately, we're not getting the plays from Lorenzo Carter, Ximenez. Those we we obviously this is what we don't have. We don't have a big outside linebacker that we could bring in on first and second down. All of our outside linebackers have the same mold of pass rushing outside linebackers. You don't think Leonard Lorenzo Carter is is a big outside linebacker? He's a strong dude. Our outside linebackers on that on that Cowboys game were getting shoved around by the offensive line. Look, I, I refer to something I said yesterday. Of the 14 regular guys who play on defense, how many are truly playing to their potential? So you and I are not going to disagree with the fact that the guys are not putting up what they're supposed to. I I totally concur with you. I think uh, Dexter Lawrence would tell you he's not playing as well as he should. I think Lorenzo Carter would tell you the same thing. And so would almost every one of those 14 guys who see a lot of snaps on defense. But I think what you have to also go back mm -hmm. to what you first said. You're saying the Giants should not have invested those picks in in the linebackers or the defensive line. Well, here's the problem. If you want pass rushers, you either have to pay a tremendous amount of money for them, which they did to Leonard Williams when they re-signed him, or you have to draft them and you you, 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 – yeah. So Dexter Lawrence deserved to be a first-round draft pick. You know, Ojolari. He doesn't play like a first-round draft pick at all. Well, right now he's not. I'm not going to disagree with you. No, but he hasn't played at all. No, last year he played really well. He was a good player last year. He was sold to us. He was sold to us as a pass-rushing defensive line. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. You, you, you must not have read the correct scouting report on Dexter Lawrence. The no, scouting report on Dexter that. Lawrence when he came in was that he was a stout player who could command double teams, who was dominant against the run, who should be able to develop some pass rush skills to push the front of the pocket. And that's really what he did last year. He's I'm not doing sure, it right now. I'm pretty sure Gettleman said that he was going to be a pass rushing lineman. They thought that he could yeah, put that he they thought, for that. Right. Too. They yeah. thought he could eventually push the front of the pocket, and he did that last year. So he did what was advertised. Yeah. I think I think you're badly mistaken. Last thing that I want to say is Kyle Rudolph was brought in here, and Kyle Rudolph has been a non-factor. And I'm not blaming Kyle Rudolph for that. I'm blaming the offensive scheme for that. Because, again, right now this year, Evan Ingram is having a better year than Kyle Rudolph. And, I, and, and not one point last year in the offseason, I thought that, Evan Ingram was, or Kyle Rudolph is a better tight end than Evan Ingram. But the fact is this, this team just doesn't take shots on the end zone 
when they use they don't use their their number one wide receiver Galladay. They don't use the tight ends for that. It's just the scheme that they're in. And lat and in the game in Dallas, dude, they, the defense had three stops on the first quarter, and Daniel Jones just was so erratic on that first quarter. He eventually got it, but then he even got got concussed. But this team needs to start faster. There's no way that on defense we get an interception, start at our own fifty. We get a fumble recovery, and then we only give up three points on a field goal. That's three defensive stops pretty much, and we got nothing off of that. How can you expect this defense to keep up with that offense? It's just it's just a tough sure. task to add. Well, I mean, that goes back to Antonio. That's why I said all week last yeah. week the onus was did, on the Giants' offense. Yep, the Giants' offense that. had to keep up with the Dallas offense because of the struggles Absolutely. of the defense. Yeah. The I mean, there's no doubt about it. The missed opportunities early happened. with the takeaways was killer. Yeah, the best case scenario for that defense, because if anybody saw tape on the Dallas, they knew that this was going to be a, a, a meat track. The, the Dallas Cowboys was going to move that ball. They're just a bigger team than the Giants, both on offense and defense. And the only chance that the Giants had was they make Cowboys go the length of the field and they make mistakes. And they did make mistakes, and we just didn't capitalize on offense. Daniel Jones was super erratic. When he left the team, I just don't understand this either, when he left the field, the uh, uh, the backup kid, I forgot his name. He was running the, the offense. Glennon was running the offense. He was running. He he was able to flip formations. He was doing back shoulder passes. I haven't seen this team through back shoulder passes with Daniel Jones this entire season. So I just don't understand how Glennon comes in and looks like he has a a, a better offensive uh, uh, understanding of this offense than the starter Daniel Jones. And, and guys, have yourself a great one. All right. All well, right. Have, have a great call. day. I mean, look, if if last year's fringe top 10 defense was on the field Sunday for four quarters, I would venture to say they would have made that game a hell of a lot more competitive. But that's not the defense that's playing in 2021 for the Giants. It's just not. And I'm, I'm still sticking to that. But anyway, the caller had some good points and some things he actually agreed with me on. But he did get a few things that were a bit awry. But that's okay. Well, the other thing I was going to add was he had brought up the fact that it didn't make any sense to draft Dexter Lawrence and then trade for Leonard Williams. I think now when you look at that, yeah, it's one thing to say that, which I don't necessarily agree with, but you drafted Dexter Lawrence months before you maybe had an idea that Leonard Williams was available to acquire via trade. Right. So you have to understand that they're not making decisions, my point is, Paul, knowing how the exact timeline is going to play out months later. When they're drafting Dexter Lawrence, they're looking at their board. They're saying, okay, he helps us meet a need. We think he's a good player. We're going to take him. Not thinking that, oh, in October, Leonard Williams is going to be mm-hmm. available. No so you question. can't look at it from that standpoint. No question. Now, yeah. I will say this. One of the points that he absolutely made was that Kyle Rudolph has certainly not been as productive as you might have hoped. Sure. Look. They've used him a lot more blocking than they have pass catching. Well, he's played double the amount of snaps just about than Evan Ingram. No question. No question. And and much of it has been blocking. Yeah. Okay. So I understand why the caller would say, well, he's not giving you as much production because Ingram is being more used as a passing target and Rudolph is being more used as a blocking guy. So I get why he would say that. And I do agree with this. He has been through his career, that is Kyle Rudolph, a big-time first-down chain mover and a big-time red zone target who scores touchdowns. To this point, I don't think I've seen the Giants throw him a pass in the end zone. Can you remember? I cannot remember. Yeah. 
I will say this. Minnesota, over the last year or two, used him primarily as a blocker with the exception, as you mentioned, they would try to get him involved in the red zone and on third downs to try to move the chains. But he wasn't a highly targeted guy last season with the Vikings because they had drafted another young tight end that they were utilizing much more in the receiving game. And unfortunately, you know, he got hurt this year. Mm -hmm. So that changed the dynamics. I'm sure if Kyle Rudolph was in Minnesota right now, he probably would be utilized like he was early in his career. But the point is, even Kyle Rudolph will admit it. Last year, the Vikings asked Kyle Rudolph to block. And it seems as if the Giants are sort of carrying that over into the season. The biggest difference is he's not getting opportunities in the red zone and to try to move the chains on third down. That's the biggest difference because I'm bringing up the numbers. Last year, Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr., by the way, was the other tight end I was referring to. He had 39 receptions on 48 targets. Those numbers are not overwhelming. In 16 games, I mean, do the math. That's a little over two catches a game. Well, that's in 19, you mean. Did I skip one season? Yeah, you skipped 20. You're right. I went to 2019. I'm glad you caught that. I'm sorry. Well, he was injured and missed a month because of the foot last year, too. Correct. So, so his now numbers are skewed. Up, so now I'm bringing up 2020. Okay, so he played 12 games. He had 28 receptions. The point is, each of the last two seasons in Minnesota, primarily a blocker, not a big guy in the receiving game. However, they did give him some opportunities. Although in 12 games last year, he only had one touchdown for the Vikings. Correct. That was a career low yeah. by, by far. I think the point is now, through five games, he's only had seven catches and 11 targets. And, uh, you know, we're talking here in the studio where we're like trying to discuss it here while you were uh, just answering. And we're thinking maybe there was one pass that might have been thrown to him in the end zone so far this year. He might have been the intended receiver. Maybe he wasn't the primary guy. Maybe it was just a matter of happenstance and maybe it was just a badly thrown ball. But even if it's just one target in the end zone through five games, I could understand why somebody would say, hmm, that doesn't seem right considering his proclivity for finding points. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Though before we do that, just a few reminders. The 2021 season now underway. There's still time to secure your season tickets. Root on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. You can speak with a Giants ticket representative now. Become a season ticket member. Call 888-NYG-1925. Also, Take in all the action of New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giant suites are a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. You can speak with a Giant suite rep also by calling 888-NYG-1925. And on an unrelated note, the Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated are at greater risk from COVID-19. Protect yourself, get vaccinated. Visit ny.gov slash get vaccinated or talk to your health care provider. Back to the lines we go. Raghu is in Virginia. What's happening, Raghu? Hey, guys. How are you doing today? We're doing all right. What do you got for us? Uh, nothing. I was just pissed off from the last game. So I don't know about you guys, but the call where Daniel Jones got hurt, I didn't like it. Maybe if, if I'm the OC, like I should have run the ball like two more times, making sure like Daniel Jones is safe. Like we never know. Uh, but even our corners played very, very bad. So I'm pissed about our defense too. Like, yeah. So did you say you the Cowboys think? played very bad? Did I hear you correctly? No, our corners. Defense. Oh, the corners. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to make sure I heard you correctly. That's why the cornerbacks. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So we know like the ball is going to CD Lamb, and we couldn't even stop him. Like he's on on an island all by himself, like all the time. So yeah. 
So where do you guys see this team going forward? You talk about the overall team? Well, I mean, just to w- respond to your first point, they actually, if you remember, before Daniel Jones got hurt, it was third and goal. They ran the ball with their conventional running back. Unfortunately, he was stuffed at the line. So it wasn't as if they abandoned ship. They were trying to pound it in without their quarterback taking a hit. And then on the third opportunity, they tried to change it up. So I don't necessarily think that the Giants put Daniel Jones in a precarious spot when the previous two plays, unfortunately, didn't work from an execution standpoint. As far as the corners go, I think it's been well documented. We talked about guys like James Bradbury, Adoree Jackson, not necessarily playing at the level that they were last season, specifically Bradbury, who was on the team. Jackson wasn't here. And they're going to have to clean that up. Part of it is going to be better execution on their part. Part of it is going to have to be disrupting the quarter back up front you got to help your corners out if the corners are not handling their business the guys at the front they got to make up for that somehow hi Raghu appreciate the phone call Paul I don't know if you want to add anything to what I said with respect to that Daniel Jones run but they did try to run it in with Booker prior to Daniel Jones getting hurt early in the second quarter uh, they used the fullback lead they had some trouble pounding it in and then finally uh, on the fourth down call if you'll remember They had Elijah Penny in there lining up with the fullback lead, and Booker went diving into the pile, and because of the lead block by Elijah Penny, he was able to get across the goal line for the touchdown. Which, quite honestly, that's... I feel as though if you get that close to the goal line, I don't care if it takes three shots. I'm a big guy for the fullback lead. And, And I really believe that, you know, that's your best play. And even if it takes two or three times to do it, I think eventually you'll get it in there. And they did. Now, I will say this. The boot, the quarterback boot from the one-yard line against that particular defense is actually a very good call as long as the blocks up front are made. There were two Cowboys who were left totally free on the right side of their defense, and those were the two guys who tracked down Daniel Jones. Yep. If the two Giants, and again, there may have been an audible here, so I don't know what the call was, okay? But if the two Giants on the left side of their offense had just manned up against the two Dallas defenders, Daniel Jones could have got on his hands and knees and literally crawled into the end zone. That's how easy, that's how wide open he would have been to get beyond the goal line. And, you know, I had a, a guy on Twitter said to me, I've never seen a quarterback bootleg from the one-yard line before. And how many times have you seen it? And my response was, well, more times than I can remember, the most famous was Joe Willie Namath, who did it against the Giants in 1974 in the first ever regular season NFL overtime game. It was played at the Yale Bowl, and Joe Willie Namath, with his bad knees, Broadway Joe, had a quarterback bootleg, went into the end zone, and beat the Giants in overtime. That's the most famous one of all. So, yeah, that's a really good call against a goal line defense like that if they're all packed in between the tackles and you block it correctly man-on-man, mano-a-mano. But if you don't and you leave a guy naked on that edge, that defender's going to make the play and he's going to get you a quarterback. And that's exactly what happened with Jabril Cox and Chauncey Golston. By the way, those were the two guys that were unblocked, and they were the ones that were able to chase down Daniel Jones and prevent him from getting in. So that is going to wrap up 
Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We appreciate everybody tuning in. A reminder that today's episode is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll be back up and running again on Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern for the latest edition of BBKL. Paul, always good going back and forth. I'll speak to you later this week. Fun program today, Lance. Thanks. Absolutely. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Stay locked to Giants.com. We'll speak to you on Wednesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.